part. I, I I feel you know like when you go to um like an event at like or a pep rally or something and you have the the speaker there the MC and they're like All right, who's excited tonight and it's just this very tepid like yeah. <laughs> Do it. I said, who's Sorry. fucking excited tonight? Let's fucking go. And everybody, and you know, it's just like, man, this is just so forced. And that's how I feel every time I introduce the Eminem podcast. Welcome. Still doing it though. Welcome to the Eminem podcast. Uh, Marks and Med has returned with a little bit of fun today. Uh, joined, well, you know who I am, of course, Fidel, your boy, the kid. Um, joined as usual by the usual suspects. What's up, Bay? What's up, Sigmund? What's new, friends? I moved. That's you exciting. Moved. And I have internet now. Oh, God. That was a long-winded search for internet, search for Wi-Fi. What were you mm -hmm. doing? Were you hotspotting your phone or were you just reading? Ew. <laughs> I just would hibernate well i had to go into the office every single day to do virtual visits which was stupid uh, um but i didn't have internet because like the builder didn't think that they needed to connect the exterior line so the internet service provider could actually like come and hook it up that's very sensible I like, yeah i was like this is plumbing at this point like why isn't it hooked up I know it's uh I feel like it we've gotten to a point in technology where this is pretty simple and still is just fucked up constantly by I mean everybody I know who moves I feel like it's almost like a rite of passage that you have to wait at least 5 days for internet or something like that. Even though you don't have to even though like no. it should be just plug and play at this point. Yes, it is complete plug and play. This is not the 1990s where we're like Oh, where's that Ethernet cable that's like being like frayed and coming apart that I won't replace <laughs> kind of thing? You know, it's just whatever. I'm sorry, but you're finally moved and places coming together, I hope. That's yes, nice. I got the cat bed behind me. Plants, I can't. It's hard to see. That's okay. It's it's there. You can believe me. I trust you. Bay, how you doing? What's new? Doing good. Nothing, really. Not nothing at much. all yeah, nothing no. is new in in bay's no. life from yeah. what i understand you are exactly the same as you've always been that's good same yesterday as today just a timeless classic mm -hmm. well bats bats are new oh i did yeah I, did, uh, I went and saw some bats last night were they friendly bats were they kind of were you doing spells? Like, what was the context? No, I view all bats as friendly. Um, and Texas has an enormous population of migrating uh, Mexican free-tail bats that roost by the millions all over the state. So I went and saw a swarm emerge last night from a local cave. Dope. And everything else that's going on in my life is deeply personal. And I don't want to share unless Patreon subscribers pay for it. So we're going to keep that. for the OnlyFans. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Only for well, my only fans, like they already know the three of them. Yeah, they pay a hefty eleven ninety nine a month to know what's been going on with oh me my the God. past four weeks. Wait, what if you had a service called Only Friends and it was like a private social media network that people could subscribe to? Hey, yeah, if you want to be my friend, you pay up, son. That's how it works. <laughs> pay for my fucking. <laughs> yep, I can't be answering these DMs on what my own time. Mm, yeah. I got bills to pay. Yeah, you could buy a tier for me to be nice to you. <laughs> yeah, first tier, we'll exchange five texts a week. Uh, top tier, 
um, unlimited access to my bathroom activity. And then we can like kind of find the in-between uh, tiers. Yeah, like Christmas cards. Yeah. Yeah, that would be that would be nice. Or like, um, you know, a little New Year's greeting. I'll come to your New Year's Eve party and like oh. pee on the couch and vomit. And like, you know, I'll be, it'll be fun. Though. <laughs> like it'll be like an acute, endearing friendship sort of way. Oh, there he goes again. Fucking Fidel. What a mess. But we can we can talk about those tears. Um, <clears throat> well, today we have something a little different, something we've been talking about on Eminem. Um, the uh, form of the long episode, which involves many days and weeks of what do you call it prep that's all gone now yeah. um we we we've transcended the need for education um in a rigorous way what we're doing now is reading series what we're doing now is haha look at this fucking idiot um this is the M&M rebrand and uh, i hope you're ready for it we have a couple of articles i'm sure you, some of you all know at least um, you're aware of w whatever the fuck's going on at Medscape with uh, at least the article titles are some of the funniest things I've seen in a long time. And I feel like Medscape is leaning into this now. Maybe they are becoming self-aware how weird some of these article titles and sometimes the text within, because some of them are just kind of eye grabbers, you know, um, like one that we're not going to read today, but um, just kind of caught my eye, which is titled, are you a physician dot, 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 or a vending machine? Yes, and I did. <laughs> it just, how can you not fucking click when you see something like that? And I'm like, what? Well, wait a second. I thought I was, <laughs> am I a vending machine? So these are existential questions that all of us are asking. So when you see it on Medscape, you have no choice but to click. Um, and there are many of these, and I think we're going to go through a couple of them today, and maybe we'll go through something somewhat serious, semi-serious, quasi-serious. We'll see what happens. Um, Sigmund, did you want to perhaps start and present us with, um, yeah, whatever the fuck is going on at Medscape? I I don't know when I started getting these emails, but I get them every day. <laughs> so it's just like <laughs> yes. the every, most... Multiple, multiple times a multiple. day. Multiple, and then I, I don't know if... Medscape and MD links are the same thing, but like, I feel like they all kind of sound like this. There's like usually like one or two like normal things where it's like, oh, like how does hypertension present in like different populations or whatever? I don't know. Or like, here's that another new like MAB drug that you've never heard of. And it's like, oh, that seems educational. But then they have a wealth of columnists <laughs> and the first kind of treasure chest uh, that I want to present is, I think this is the first link that I just dropped in the chat uh, by Arthur L. Kaplan, uh, PhD slash ethicist slash public intellectual. Oh, God. Bro, bro, if you're calling yourself a public intellectual, yo, the only public intellectual left in America that I will recognize um, and even I paint a little bit too, is Cornell West. If you're not Cornell West and you call yourself a public intellectual, do not approach me at the supermarket. Do not email me and don't talk to me ever. I don't know. Something about that rubs me completely the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't call himself that. He calls himself the yes. Well, Medscape will label like, oh, and ethicist speaks or whatever. Um, but I feel like he would enjoy being called a public intellectual. You can tell. Yeah. yeah. Like that's but. his kink. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't yuck his yum. <laughs> what do you want me to call you in bed? Well, <laughs> awful. <laughs> what's your what's your safe word? Oh, pedestrian. <laughs> Plebe. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Mr. Arthur. What is his name? Oh, Arthur. Dr. L. Arthur Kaplan. I, I thought Arthur C. Clarke is what I heard for a second for some reason. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's like very, very close. So Arthur L. Kaplan, PhD, and the P stands for public intellectual, H stands for hater, and D stands for D's nuts. Mm-hmm. What is Arthur up to? What's he so, talking about? You, I, I don't know if I should read like the list of his columns because some of the titles are very funny. Um, uh, hold on let me pull this up COVID-19 the sadness of dying alone what can we do (laughs) (laughs) yes Russian docs should be shut out of medical association (laughs) what (laughs) yo and put them in camps <laughs> yeah the, the it's so i guess it's okay to say that because i guess russians are white people but like i mean just replace russians with i don't know any ethnic category and we have kind of an issue on our hands i suppose i mean wasn't there a really big war where like a central premise of it was that russians were white? Oh, yes <laughs> man i was gonna say or not uh... a central but a part of you know defining the <laughs> We should bring back right the Japanese internment camps, but put the Russians in them this time. Uh-huh. Here's then, 500 uh, big brain words about it. But here's a good one, though. Let people take illegal drugs under medical supervision? Question mark. Yeah. Uh, I, I, okay. I, now we're talking. Now we're talking. He's like really all over the place. Uh, loan forgiveness and med school debt. What about me? <laughs> a personal exegesis of my life yeah. yeah it's like motherfucker you got a phd wasn't that shit funded what's going yeah come on guy it's all about how um, yeah look, the same bullshit how can i make this about me behavior it always continues to pop up online you know he's a meme page admin. it, uh, it kind of sounds like this is a medically associated modern update of the buzzfeed listicle combined with reddit um so this is fucking terrific yeah yeah this is pretty bad so far but um and living kidney donors should get money for cost of donation i mean mean... and then he like delineates the very fine line between like covering costs like due to donation versus like well it's clearly unethical to create a market for these Morgan, it's like well what do you think is gonna happen Ugh. um but anyway i i specifically chose would you go to a hundred year old doctor because like what a fucking absurd question <laughs> no uh, based what? on yeah well is he spry you know is she active <laughs> like what are what are Why they up are to they otherwise what the fucking retire would you vote for an 81 year old president again maybe that could be a question we could ask yes i I would not be surprised if he hasn't done on like if he has done one on like bro is it ethical to comment on someone's like uh mental health publicly is arthur l kaplan 100 years old i have to wonder (laughs) it kind of looks like yeah is this him or is like in the The, video yes that's him yeah well, no, he doesn't look 100. I'll give you credit. 
All right, 65, whatever. Um, So an interesting opinion piece appeared in the New York Times. A doctor asked, how would you feel if your doctor was 100 years old? That may seem a little extreme, but I think the point was that we're seeing more aging going on in the doctor workforce. I don't know how many people are practicing 200 years of age. I suspect it's not many. You suspect. (laughs) Well, literally, I've never seen a 100-year-old doctor (laughs) in my five five years of training and then after. So I suspect, too, similarly, not many. How many people are living to 100 in the general population? Right. I mean, I mean, let alone that the um, life expectancy in the U.S. is declining. I mean, not for rich people, of course. This is only mm-hmm. for, you know, middle to lo- to low to no income people. But I mean, in a general sense, if the average life expectancy is what, like 82 or 81 or something in the U.S., I mean, where are these hundred year? Why would the question even come up? Where are they? Where are the hundred year old doctors? And it, because there are maybe one, who cares? What kind of fucking question is this to ask? <laughs> Why is it relevant, Art? I want to know. Retirement is not mandatory for your doctor at age 65. By the way, it is for an airline pilot. They can't fly commercial after that age. Yeah. Is that That's true? Good idea. I didn't know that. I, I'm going to take Dr. Kaplan on his word. I'm not going to look up this shit. I'm not going to do any research. All right, Grandpa. I, I know you had a whole life riding those 747s, but it's time to get some cold mashed potatoes and be neglected at the home. Come on now. They can't, So many other professions have mandatory retirement, partly linked up to the idea that there may be cognitive or health decline, and partly linked up to the idea that they want if you will, new people to come in and be able to rejuvenate businesses or organizations. I mean, fair. fair. There's a ton of fucking like old ass tenure professors who don't teach, don't produce any work except just like sign off on someone's like thesis. Fucking get rid of them, whatever. Yeah, there's plenty of surgeons I've worked with who like I'm watching them pre-op the patient and even like as they're holding the clipboard, like their hands are shaking. And I'm like, <laughs> if I'm the patient right now, I'm going to have more questions about... <laughs> Um, like, is that my surgeon? Yeah, that's you... that's him. Really? Is that true? I thought it was a robot. Yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> like a couple of ortho, like where I did uh, my my training, a couple of orthopedic surgeons who kind of I, I would not have been surprised if somebody told me they were a hundred years old, um, and just sitting wondering like how are like how has nobody been like listen, my friend, it's you got to know when to hang it up, kind of thing, you know. Also, just like, isn't that sad? Like you, you know, put all your years of like physical work and like mental work into this, you know, practice of medicine and you mentor people and you have a good life. Like go fucking home, go golf or something. (laughs) Go home. home. Don't have to be here anymore. I know maybe you hate your wife or like your kids are annoying or something, but you're 80 years old. Your kids got to be out of the house by now. So (laughs) why are you still here? Well, this is the problem. I'll tell you what the problem is. Medicine is so, uh, it's a field where, number one, it self-selects for a certain kind of person who has no other interests or personality beside their profession. This is very common in medicine. Sorry, shout out to my homies all out there, all my medical professional people I know. This is kind of a widespread problem. Um, So when it's time to retire, they literally don't know what to do with themselves. So I'm just never going to retire. I'm just going to keep doing this until I have an end STEMI and then I become the patient. That's the mindset, I think, for so many practitioners. And it, on one hand, it's like, go do something. But on the other hand, it's kind of sad because this is just what their life is. It's a little bit of both. 
that's fucked up like it is pick up a weird dad hobby like this is not a sole problem within medicine i think a lot of like older generation people who are like high career power like high power career types probably have this sort of like identity crisis and like yep. developmentally probably should mm-hmm. i think part of the normal aging process when you're like oh how do i measure myself when i'm no longer a productive kind of like young vital yeah. force in society when when we live under capitalism but i don't know fucking go collect garden gnomes do do fucking anything <laughs> like what and maybe there's something sale? to be yeah, yeah do a yard sale maybe there is something to be said about this like lack of safety net where like people financially can't afford to retire but that is not the case for most old doctors right like they actually kind of got some shit that they well you said back on. you said the word it's productivity and like th- i don't typically and on this podcast we don't typically do generational politics but there is one aspect of generational politics that i think is important which is that uh, like our parents, you know, we're all around the same age, like our parents, that generation, boomers, even the the great generation people, which I have a bone to pick with y'all calling yourselves the great generation um, because of what has ensued after the great generation, quote unquote. But um, it's this sort of work to live versus live to work kind of mentality, right? Which like, our parents' generation very much subscribed. What This was the generation of industrial capital, right? Everything uh, revolved around your productivity and your contribution to society. It still does. But it was so much more in the forefront in the sense that there was nothing else about your personality besides what you did for work. And I think our generation is starting to, you know, peel those layers back a little bit. Uh, and, you know, other people in medicine my age definitely have a lot of time set apart for other interests in their life besides just, I'm a doctor, this is who I am, which is good. I think that is a good thing that people have multiple aspects of their personality, but that generation, um, sadly, there's not much else for them. Should we place them in estate sales maybe like across the country? Like I feel like they need, maybe they need our help perhaps yeah maybe there should be like an adopt a grandparent kind of thing it's like get matched (laughs) up to like a young person who kind of wants to be around you instead of your dipshit fucking grandkids who just want to play Fortnite. (laughs) yeah i'm i'm gonna push the envelope and say for the podcast we uh do uh support ageism and uh, (laughs) we are anyone seen uh midsommar um you'll know what scene i'm talking oh for our viewers, or I always think people are watching us. That's the only fans in me. I'm sorry. For our <laughs> listeners, um, anyone that's seen that movie knows exactly what scene I'm talking about. Well, I mean, we do. There, there's always new avenues of ritual sacrifice. And if it has to be the olds, as as we call them, um, if that's what's happening on Midsommar, I have to assume. Then... I mean, what was that article written during COVID? It's like grandparents should be okay with sacrificing themselves oh, yeah. at oh, the altar God. of capital, basically. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys remember that? Yes. Yeah. No, so, like, was what, what's so different? Response, was this in response to like all those like elderly Japanese people that were cleaning up nuclear waste? No, this was a COVID <laughs> oh, this issue. was just COVID. Just, just like, just oh, COVID. get over yourself. Yeah, well, for, come if, on, guys. You live long I enough. Remember, 
like the lieutenant governor of Texas went on to like Fox News and talked about how like, well, our grandparents, they're excited to die for the new generation. That was it, like, yes. Some, that yeah. was it. <laughs> and, and I feel like, of course, someone on the New York Times like co-signed this to some degree. David Brooks, Friedman, yeah. Christoph. Your your grandparents can't wait to sacrifice themselves for the good of the economy, right? You know, and this this is when we were calling um, humans like or people. What were they calling them? Human capital stock, I think, was mm -hmm. the name. Like you'd hear on, um, you know, NBC and uh, all of the <laughs> stock programs. Let's just like put them all into one box. Stock programs, yeah. Human capital stock is what I would like to have on my gravestone. Mm -hmm. uh, when I die, I don't want my like actual name or how long oh, I was around. Yeah. I don't want I, that. I'm pretty sure the people that talked about it, God knows who, like Dave Ramsey and all those dumb motherfuckers, were probably saying this and envisioning like Randy Quaid's character in Independence Day, like just going up in the fucking jet straight up into like mm -hmm. the alien spaceship. Like, oh, this is what old people are doing. They are happy to kill themselves for COVID. <laughs> like, this is what the indigenous tribes were doing, you know, like they, they knew. Um, and, you know, shout out, we're on Navajo land. Kind of, I mean, we, there's all kinds of stuff. <laughs> doing a land acknowledgement before just burning down a nursing home. <laughs> exactly. There's a way we can go woke with this stuff, guys. Yeah. That's, that's there's like one liberal, to. like the counter voice. And the only thing he says is it's not Navajo, it's Dene. Like, oh. <laughs> <Not me> again. <laughs> Can't even get my fucking <laughs> land acknowledgments right. Term. Like, okay, thanks. Oh, uh, anyway, on yeah. the article. So this issue about what to do with an aging workforce of doctors is serious because the workforce is aging and there's a shortage of doctors. It may seem a little crazy to start to talk about whether we should force retirement for physicians when we don't have enough physicians. And every manpower prediction shows that there is going to be fewer and fewer physicians to meet demand in the years ahead. I wonder why that is. Yeah. Hmm. Um, let's not dissect the reason for the physician shortage or just like healthcare worker shortage and because the same thing is happening in nursing too, especially bedside nursing. Let's not investigate why this is happening. Let's <laughs> perhaps explore how we can maybe coerce doctors to stop retiring early and and practice into their um uh into their hundreds. That that could be a possible solution. I mean, it might be strategic because the oldest physicians with like no other sense of identity and no other hobbies are the only one who are who you're going to be able to like force into staying at work like yes. all the fucking middle-aged like mba dipshits are like oh i'm gonna be a metrepreneur now <laughs> yeah i'm i'm only working so i can afford you know the, the boat my second home or my vacation spot you know that mindset don't we want to keep those people active? Don't we want to keep a large of work workforce as we can? Well, sure, but it's obvious we want a competent workforce. Okay. The good news is the science is beginning to understand there are people among us who are so-called super agers. They do very well. At 100, though? Mm, I, I mean, feel like at 80, you can have like a pretty big range of like how con like capable you might be in different physical and cognitive tasks, but like at a hundred, you might be kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. I mean, really at the, at the risk of sounding truly ageist, I just, I really hesitate because I've not, maybe it's because I've not seen many robust hundred year olds that I would maybe trust with clinical decision-making. Maybe that's the only reason I got to say the, the people 
who I see in pre-op, there are some 80 year olds who I'm like, there's no fucking way you're 80. Like you look 50. Like seriously, <laughs> they look really good. Then there's some 40 year olds where I'm like, how are you alive right now? Kind of thing. Um, so really, I mean, age, uh, age is just a number. No, well, age really, there really is a spectrum, but once you get past 80, the, the, the few 80 plus year olds I've seen that are robust and spry and all this, honestly, farmers, farmers live forever if they don't get, you know, cut in half by some heavy machinery somehow, uh, in some <laughs> like horrific modal episode. distribution of age. Yes. Like, I swear to God, all, every single like old, robust, uh, older, robust person pre-op like 91 and they have like all their teeth and they look great farmers every single time. I don't know what it is. It's, it's all those GMOs. Uh, but also like every I feel like a hundred year old or like 90 year old that you see on like social media they're like oh they're a hundred it's like yeah like they live on like a French like winery and just like their entire <laughs> yeah. work is just like walking their dog around the corner to right. buy like a but loaf of bread they have some Which lifestyle like, that nobody else could possibly replicate right you think like all these motherfuckers who just like stayed up doing 45 hour calls like every like every three days like they're going to make it to their 90s unscathed? I don't know. It seems unlikely. No. And studies are going to try to figure out why some of us do well in old age. Most of the studies are focused on why some of us don't do so well, say Alzheimer's or Lewy body syndrome, but there's a subset, subset of people who do very well. Obviously, there are doctors who can practice and do what they need to do in their specialty well into their 70s and 80s. I don't know about 100, but certainly they're getting on in age and so they want to do a good job. I think time has come for something that makes people nervous, but I don't think it has to be extraordinary burdensome and that's checking for competency. Don't we have board exams that we have to do every fucking 10 years? I love how he just pulled out like the number 100 as an arbitrary like just figure. And then he is essentially saying we should have a fucking field day for uh, old doctors. Uh, just to check if they're competent like oh let's do like a burlap sack races and three-legged races and <laughs> make them race across the field with a spoon holding a nade and a, like a water balloon All the toss. Surgeons. yeah like, <laughs> like yeah i don't do want to check for <laughs> yeah i don't want to check for clinical competency i want to check purely for physical competency <laughs> in those specific carnival-esque ways yeah it's like a jap like a 90s japanese game show <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like okay, MXC, I, we should put old yeah. doctors on MXC. That, okay, I fucking American Gladiator, <laughs> American Here's Ninja team. Warrior. There's yeah, so like... many possibilities. Okay, I can actually get behind this because that'd be very funny. Yeah. Okay. Listen, my cardiologist, who my father's been seeing for literally, you know, uh, seventy years, we're gonna throw him into that uh, crag wall they have on on Global Guts from Nickelodeon. Now that is programming anybody would pay to watch. And then maybe that can like go to funding someone's retirement, whoever wins. Yeah, um, yeah it could be, it could be charitable. It could, you know, be philanthropic. It could be fun. <laughs> it's for the patient fund. Yeah. But like they could, it, it could be like chess boxing, you know, like a cognitive component, physical component, but, and then maybe people would actually like exercise more and like they would be inclined to do sports that aren't just golf if they had to go past yeah. like the fucking american ninja warrior course <laughs> yeah even if you are fucking quadruple boarded uh at age 70 if you don't pass the ninja american ninja warrior <laughs> trial i'm sorry 
you cannot practice. This is what it is. If you're quadruple boarded, you have to do it four times. Yeah. <laughs> In a row. Yeah. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah. God bless seeing like a 95 year old like vascular surgeon try to climb like rope climb to Mount Midoriyama. Like just... <laughs> Smoking a cig at the same time. Oh my God. All right. Th- I feel. I feel like we're on to something here. I really do. Yes. We have so many good ideas today. Before everyone gets angry about that idea, because obviously there are doctors out there who are young and their competency isn't good for a variety of reasons, such as impairment, where they don't keep up with the literature. The fact is we know that aging can impair and aging impairs a subset of people at a stronger clip. There must be a simple way to just recheck basic competency using memory test, some sort of dexterity test, or a simple 20 to 30 minute examination annually or every other year, just to make sure that once you're older than 65, your skills have not slipped in a way that would harm patients or cause risk of malpractice to increase. I know nobody likes to get tested and I know I don't like to get tested. So, so sorry, STD, like what's going on here? (laughs) So like, instead of the modules you'll do online for like how to use the capillary blood glucose monitor, like, what what are, what are they going to do? Like administer a mocha every year to to doctors over sixty five? Is that the plan? I mean, if they actually wanted to make this like clinically and practice relevant, wouldn't it be like you like you give the doctor a question and you're like, go look it up on PubMed. You find an article and you tell me what the answer is. <laughs> like their intern should be like, reverse. You go look it up and you tell me tomorrow what you find. Yeah, <laughs> and then, then we can talk about you can talk about it for twenty minutes tomorrow. Oh exactly. man. That's why I stopped asking questions, by the way, attendings. It's not a good strategy. That's why I stopped asking questions in med school. Okay, I I became less um, inquiry involved. So stop asking med students to do your work for you. Okay, don't give anybody homework if you actually want them to learn anything. They just get resentful about the homework. Exactly. Precisely. Well, I mean... I'm okay with administering a mocha. Who's going to grade them, though, is the problem. Um, and I mean, I, oh, I can that's just... a test for the neurologists. The ones who are over 65, they have to grade the other doctor's mochas. Oh, and if fun. they pass or not. <laughs> Everything this guy says, I'm just thinking of in the most hilarious manners, like when he talks about dexterity and you're like, okay. Um, and by that, what do you want him to do? Like go to fucking Dave and Buster's to like the visual field test wall and like touch the buttons real fast? Like, do the jump Bro, rope, like, uh, flaming jump rope jump. Yeah, like but, I mean, everything you're talking about actually needs like in-depth, long form, you know, written out thought for actual practitioners and clinicians within the field, not a fucking um, professor emeritus ethicist who's just like spitballing on WebMD. That's just like, I don't know, like, how can we reform like the medical field? And it's just like, oh, fuck, we gave grandpa a job. And so he just kind of talks to clouds over here. <laughs> Make all the psychiatrists have to pass a dexterity test. Yeah. <laughs> At age 70. <laughs> oh, they already God. can if they can type it. Well, no, if they're dictating, perhaps not. Oh, maybe you have to type your notes after age 70. No more dragon. Oh, my God. That could prove dexterity. There you go. Are you like doing the little pecking? Yeah. Or do you actually little... know how to do it? One finger at a time. <laughs> like, what if all the attendings have to do like one internship where they have to know how to like put in order sets? Oh, God. It's like, do you know how to order sliding scale? 
Um, we would have uh, a physician shortage like no other if you're starting to ask attendings <laughs> yeah, to put in them. orders. Yeah, not going to happen. Uh, but but he wants to actually expand this to not just doctors. Professors are another group that can stay on, and I would advocate the same for them. They have to pass a mandatory recertification in order to be a professor at age past 65. Do professors have like certification exams like ever after like your PhD? Like, like you just this... are one, right? Yeah. Why is this man all across the board? It just sounds like uh, he's very nicely talking about his own prejudices and just couching it in a way where it just sounds professional. Like, I don't know. I don't like old doctors and I don't like old professors. But we he should is probably one. call them. Like, I was going to say, Arthur's not like, the most, you know. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't a Ben Shapiro, like 30 year old, you know, college Republican type. Like, he looks past 35. Yeah. Anyway. And, I think we all understand that the testing doesn't have to be on the understanding of the latest literature. Why not? Yeah. What, like, what? wouldn't that be kind of relevant for doctors to like yeah. understand the latest literature? Because experience and wisdom count strongly in wisdom. And you can always refer to others when you're alive, really looking for someone who has the latest, most up-to-date knowledge in a subfield. We probably do that anyway. Then what's the point mm. of keeping all these fucking old fuckers around if they're not going to be like the top of their field? <laughs> Call them like elephants in Zambia. I'm telling you, that's that's what we're doing. I gotta say, even like the 50 or 60 year, I'm not. This is not across the board, but uh, a lot of the times, the older practicing anesthesiologists, they're 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 doing kind of weird stuff. I mean, just in my own field, like they're still sometimes like they still use morphine uh, for procedures where it's just really not indicated. Like it's so it's okay to use. Uh, like fentanyl being something short acting and what, or like uh, Dilaudid for that matter. Like Dilaudid has in a lot of ways replaced morphine for a lot of procedures because it's a little less longer acting. There's less side effects, you know, kidney issues with morphine, the histamine release. There's a lot of problems with morphine, obviously, and a lot of allergies. And I uh, found that nausea is worse with morphine. So Dilaudid has in a lot of ways taken over, but there's still some older docs who are like still giving morphine and stuff for like an hour and a half, two hour procedures. What the fuck are you doing? Like, th this is an example of like, um, why wouldn't you want to be up on the literature and like what is being practiced these days? Like what is appropriate? It's like, I don't know, Sigmund, like relying on Haldol for everything as opposed to like some of the more nuanced and newer uh, like antipsychotics, for example. Like it's a similar principle, I think. Yeah, just giving everyone MAOIs. You were you yeah. were doing psychiatry before Libby's out. Yeah, like, exactly. With it. I know yeah. how to dose this. It's interesting because like I think of a lot of the older faculty like where I work and most of them have like moved on to like very specialized like research. And they probably are like pretty up to date in their specific subfield, but like I'm not gonna go to them for anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, the oldest guy who runs the psychosis clinic probably knows how to dose the fuck out of Vrelar. Will I ever prescribe it? No, probably not. <laughs> but like it, it just seems weird to be like, who cares if they don't know what the latest guidelines are? They can just ask someone. <laughs> okay they're cute you know they're they're old it's like they have other kinds of wisdom we could gather like which bagel place uh near the hospital is the best yeah or, or like which neighborhood to, like, used to not be so loud you know yeah. or how to like harass nurses without getting caught <laughs> yeah yeah they have like the best sexual innuendos um of all time yeah all kind of wisdom mm -hmm. um oh wait, but okay so 
I've called for testing in this forum before for presidential and vice presidential candidates. I think we ought to be testing them routinely when there are elections by independent assessment for basic skills. What the fuck? It would be really funny. I do want to see, um, like, Joe, both Biden and Trump, like, try to read a like a analog clock. <laughs> I was actually thinking that from the Mocha, yeah, where they have to draw the clock next to it or whatever. I would love yeah. to see Biden try try to attempt this. Also, quick tip: like, don't let your patients doing the Mocha like do it on that little itty bitty tiny piece of paper because it's really easy to cram in all the numbers and like kind of make it look right. Make them do it on the back of the page. Hot make tip. them space it out. That's actually testing executive functioning. Make Biden do that too. Um, <laughs> although I think we I'm should make called... Kamala. By the way, we should maybe make Kamala do it too, because uh, I don't know. May- she probably just has benzo brain, but there's some early onset Alzheimer's. I I don't know. We just have to be careful. Or do the Turing test on Kamala. Kamala. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that she. They already like, did the Bechdel test. Uh, you know that's why she's there. But, uh... <laughs> but there's just like something really uncanny about kamala and her i know i can't do it there's true i will give her this there is no one like her i think on the planet (laughs) i will i will give her that no one on the planet like her yeah oh but after all this i am not calling for any type of mandatory retirement age for healthcare workers or doctors i do think basic the same basic testing makes sense there are super agers out there who are going to do great. And there's a subset of folks who are going to start to slip. Like, so who's this determined by that? That's kind of these, the subtext I'm in my mind, like the implied question then is, well, who is going to grade the papers then? Who is the authority that will determine this? And is it who Arthur L again, I wanted to say Arthur C. Clark, Arthur L. Kaplan. Is it who they have in mind? Like always when we're determining competency, when we're determining um, a set of rules or guidelines or whatever, it's who is determining the guidelines, who is determining the rules. And again, we have these like what we talk about in the reading group, like um, who who are the cops then of this situation? Who's going to come in and say you can't practice medicine anymore? Is it the state board? Is it people at the hospital you work at? Is it your board uh, uh, boarding body? Like there, it's so complex like if we're going to get into like and actually entertain something like this um who is actually going to determine this stuff and it could because it could lead to very sinister outcomes of um uh i'll i mean i'll just leave it at that i guess that's just kind of what i'm thinking it's like who determines who would actually determine uh (laughs) if you're fit or not all the old people who got like grandfathered into like a certain board and they're like, oh, I don't have to do the initial certification. Like, could you imagine how mad they were going to be if oh my they have God. to get tested annually? Give <laughs> me an uproar. Absolutely. Like, they probably can't even figure out like the pilot because for psychiatry, we have this like pilot program where instead of doing like one really stupid test, like every 10 years that like everyone just kind of like crams for it doesn't matter for anything. You have to like read a certain number of articles like per year and you do it every two years. Mm-hmm. Like, it, so it would be that, but there's like, what, a video game portion where like I have to play Call of Duty and like you tell me if my <laughs> dexterity is good enough or not. <laughs> How is this going to work? No, I think I they mean, give you a, a great way to like bilk some money for the for the board of medicine or for board of, you know, that's why they do specialty. It. So I think they, they give might be you into a... it. 
they'd give you a Mad Cat's controller and have you navigate a sub to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> I think that's maybe what they'd do. Oh, they should have that for lawyers, but like you pass based on how many billionaires you can convince to go into the sub. It's not about the piloting, <laughs> it's about the convincing. The old oh. monkeys in a barrel. I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a shooting fish but in a barrel. But anyway, um, so about the cop part, uh, who does he want to be cops? There are protections. Certainly peers keep an eye on one another to make sure their practice is what it should be. I don't think it would hurt to have a basic simple recertification test so we don't damage the workforce when we need it the most, but we don't allow people to slip through who probably shouldn't be practicing any longer. I just don't think it's very humane to like let people work until they die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's also what's slipping under here is like um, what, well, I mean, there's a retirement age for a reason. And of course, a lot of doctors go past that retirement age for reasons we've already talked about. But like, is that the is that the solution, though? It's like just work forever, basically, like do the Emmanuel Macron thing uh, and and like every Republican for the past 50 years thing, which is like um, make the retirement age later and later and later with the implication being. Just work forever. That that's the solution. Just fucking work f- until you die. Can I add a couple comments, uh, which are always the best part of any online article? Oh please. <laughs> From one person, one one doctor. And how old should we allow ethicists to be to spread their opinions? <laughs> oh, <laughs> fucking <seven>. burn! <laughs> I bet he's old too. I bet that's what he's talking about. Yeah. God. Uh. And then one person said, this type of cognitive testing does speak to any neuropsychologist. And it should be done every few years for all drivers. All drivers should have to have the nine-hour neuropsych battery. In fact, it should be instituted for anyone in a position to cause significant harm if they make mistakes. Politicians, justices, owners of weapons, nurses, high-ranking soldiers in active duty. Like, what? This is insane. Um, And then... (laughs) kind of baffling doctor i'm not gonna say the name because i don't want to like out them but sounds like a pretty asian name um agree prof my opinion need to consider the culture especially for asian people why like, what does that mean asian people what what, <laughs> what? genetically what, like what does that mean <laughs> like we don't age or like we age more. I don't understand. I mean, if we're going but... this route, I mean, we all know that black don't crack. Like that that is that's like far more of a, a consideration then. No, and Asian don't raisin. Asian don't oh, that's true. I've actually never heard that before. Asian don't raisin, I guess. It's probably because you're racist. It's probably because I am I do. I have m- <laughs> much um <laughs> I have much hatred toward the Asian community. I know they keep telling me to stop Asian hate, but I just simply can't. And I, I won't I won't answer for my crimes. Anyway, last last comment. Uh, I would go to a hundred year old physician any day over a seventy two year old ethicist, but a hundred year old surgeon is out of the question. <laughs> what? When are you ever going to an ethicist? I know. Well, yeah, I have. I got some big questions, man. Um, listen, I've been in an existential funk for a while, and I'm <laughs> looking to get my life turned around. What do you think? I'm telling you, this sounds like a fucking professional message board for like Reddit. Like, yeah. The the fact that we're even taking this seriously, let's let's think about the implications of what we just fucking read. 
There is a professional website that dispenses very tawdry put together information for a specific field set of people, healthcare professionals, really pertaining to doctors and everyone on the upper end of that like medical field. This is put out there as if it's opinion pieces, incredibly small short form articles that also talk about very complicated topics and talk about them in a way where not even an undergraduate would write like a freshman intro like writing course essay. But this is literally high school shit. But the people that are doing it have PhDs and all these upper titles. And because they are on the upper end of the professional spectrum, there is a certain sense of cognitive bias that this information that we're talking about needs to be discussed. It needs to be given the weight of gravitas and the validity of like whoever is talking about it and whatever we're talking about. And it's fucking stupid. This is literally 12 paragraphs that are almost slightly more than a sentence long. And we are discussing it because it is put forward as if it is serious content to be mulled over and debated. And also when you just read the commentary at the bottom, like it's a fucking random article on Google like on a book forum or something. So you're just looking at random people's paid, like, um, you know, opinions. And you're just like, are you fucking kidding? The comment section on most of these articles are so bad, but I read one on um, AMA now officially opposing any legacy admissions in all medical schools, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty small piece to do, but all these articles were like, all these comments were like, oh, why isn't it just based on merit and, like, being really angry that they're getting rid of legacy admissions? And it was, like, as stupid as, like, any Fox News or, like, MSNBC article comment section. The comments are really, like, the the temperature test of the nation, in a way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, was that it? Was that the end of the article? Yes, that's it. Thank you, Arthur Kaplan. Very cool um interesting take um we'll see we'll see what old people are up to if they want to work forever or you know if they want to die like i said at the altar of capital for the betterment of the economy there's a lot of options for old people out there well i have an article we could read which is which is a little more should we read this one or let me think here Now, this one, okay, let's read this Medscape one. It's not so much funny as opposed to just like, man, we're really doing everything besides um, <laughs> what we, you know. I'll, I'll just read the title of the article here. This is from Medscape Anesthesiology. Title, Obesity Drug with Swallowable swallowable Balloon. Jesus. Boosts Weight Loss. Okay. So basically, the um, overarching premise of this article is that um, if you can believe it, they're talking about semaglutide, talking about Wegovy and you know um, Ozempic, these types of medications, the glutides, in conjunction with a balloon that you swallow, they fill with liquid. And it makes you, you know, it it, it um, brings on early satiety. Basically, makes you full faster. Um, let let's read through the article a little bit. A swallowable gastric balloon 
combined with daily subcutaneous injections of the glucagon-like peptide agonist liraglutide, which is similar to semaglutide, of course, which is the Ozempic Wegovy types, leads to a significant average total body weight loss of 19%, 18 kilograms or 40 pounds, after four months in people with obesity. Um, basically, it goes on to talk about all of the good effects of this balloon in conjunction with the subcutaneous medication. And this is all good. You know, the, the data is decent. Uh, the N is small. I think it was only like 100 patients or something like that. And of course, they're doing this whole academic, we need more information, we need more studies, da, da, da. Um, but basically, what's happening is, um, how do we figure out a way for people to not do uh, diet and exercise? Um, how can we figure? How can we make sure that there is as little lifestyle change as possible to get people to lose weight? I don't know if we've just given up hope that this will ever happen, um, and we we're having to engineer, um, you know, people swallowing uh, uh, birthday party items uh, to get them to lose weight, like a balloon. They fill with liquid and just sits in your stomach uh, for four months, for sixteen weeks on average. Um, and getting the subcutaneous injection. I mean, so it's just it's just it a little after that. You you just uh, uh, what do you call it? it just uh, resorbs, I suppose, and you shit it out oh. eventually. <laughs> That's horrifying. Horrible. But like, I I I think like there's been just completely like no further hope that we're gonna change our like their social infrastructure enough. Like whether it's yeah. around like food or like fucking walking um that we have to just put balloons in people also <laughs> like, it, it's i mean just sad. Fair, they've been doing this like for a, a good number of decades this is the first time that i think it's a pill um like the usual issue with a lot of gastric surgeries especially like the less invasive gastric surgeries like gastric sleeve or the balloon is that i think the vast majority of people gain the weight back so like if you're already going in with the hope that four months is going to be enough to drastically and continuously alter someone's like metabolism, like that just seems really weird. Yeah. I mean, the, the, um, the trial was four months with this balloon. Yeah. You swallow the balloon, they fill it with liquid and then they do these injections daily. And then after that 16 weeks and the balloon, yeah, just resorbs and you shit it out somewhere. Um, then you, uh, change to the Mediterranean diet for six months. And, you know, who knows if people are actually following up on that and doing it correctly and all this. But I don't know. There's not much else for me to say beyond just... And I, I know the balloon's been around for a while, especially in Europe. They've been doing this for a long time. But it's just the mere fact that... Uh, it just struck me, I suppose, that there's no way we're going to change our social infrastructure, as you said. There's no way we're going to rethink uh, uh, food sustainability practices. There's no way we're going to rethink how our food is grown, what kind of food we're eating, what's in our food. There's no way we're going to rethink walkability of cities or any kind of um, anything like that. It's just, I know, <laughs> we'll put a fucking balloon in people's stomach <laughs> so they don't eat as much. Um, and they get full faster. And <laughs> look at this amazing discussion. My thought too was like, okay, what if these patients present as a trauma and I'm, I'm, I have to secure an airway 
And all of a sudden, a fucking balloon pops out of there. <laughs> like a cloud. Like... <laughs> I'm just, I'm in the trauma bay like, yo, that... <laughs> COVID was weird, but so... this is some other shit, man. Something's going on here. Yeah, oh big old, a fucking balloon animal dog pops out of their yeah. esophagus or something. I'm thinking like the clowns where they're like, you know, doing the magic trick before. Yeah. And they're like, here's the balloon and then, and then turn it into like a hand and then a dachshund and then yep. swallowing it. Oh exactly. Also, very important question. Is it septic safe? Or is do I what? fuck up my plumbing? Is it septic safe? Oh, God. I mean, that that's the question, right? You get those little adult uh, ass wipes, Cottonelle, that, you know, plumber tested and all this stuff. Is the fucking gastric balloon, the swallowable balloon, is this plumber safe? Nobody's asking this question. Yeah. Is it porta potty safe? What if I go to fucking Burning Man? You know, I'm mm -hmm. going to be able to shit it out there. Everyone's going to know, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Have you guys seen like <laughs> speaking of like walking and losing weight, all these like videos on social media that are like Americans being amazed that they can eat a bunch of like butter and cheese heavy foods in Europe and they're like, I lost weight because I walked. <laughs> it's like the most depressing type of I like know. travel what, video. What a thought. Like movement can equal calorie deficit perhaps I, I mean and that's not even really the mindset i think we should be going for because i think food and diet like obviously in conjunction but diet being probably a little more important especially like portion control like yeah you can eat butter and cheese and stuff and still lose weight if you don't overeat shit you can eat m&ms and fucking kit kats too if you don't overdo it that's the whole idea is like moderation but it is just so funny, like how people learn about food in the U.S. It is just it's like a fucking fantasy uh, in a lot of ways um, with the practices that people put in place to try to lose weight. And and this is like and doctors really a lot of times are no different. Like the education I got from nutrition in medical school, pretty weak, pretty whack. I got to say there's not really not a lot of emphasis besides what is it like? Oh, vitamin B1 uh, deficiency means, um, you know, this this disease. Well, I don't even remember at this point. Yeah, that's oh. how bad it was. I don't even remember at this point. B3, B6, like all of these, they just correspond to specific diseases. There's no emphasis on the actual, like, what makes a nutritious diet kind of thing, if that makes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I did my surgery um, rotation in bariatrics, which was, like, really interesting, like, seeing how people have to like completely change like their conceptualization of like what food like what role food plays in their lives yeah. and how difficult that is for people and also just the fact that like your sort of physiological like homeostasis for your weight gets set at a pretty young age so like obesity early on you know which is obviously determined hugely by your environment what food your parents have available what you're going to be eating like that your body just like carries with you for the rest of your life. Like even if you exercise really well, even if you're eating well as an adult, like you might just be overweight for yeah. the rest of your life. And the habits too, right? Like the behavioral aspect of things. It's like the mm -hmm. the food itself, definitely, but like what you're how you're watching other people uh form their relationships with food too. And like what you're like when I was young, I was always told like finish your plate, you know? I'm like, oh, I'm full. Like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Fucking finish, finish your plate. I'm like, I don't, I'm not hungry. But uh, this has stuck with me my entire life. It's like, I got to finish my plate. Even when I'm full, I'm, I'm going to lick that bitch clean. That's just what you do. 
you know, oh, there's children, you know, starving in specifically Africa for some reason. There, there's no other children starving anywhere else, just Africa, I guess. Always. Just always Africa. Um, and that's stuck with me forever. That is a behavior I've to this day not been able to kick. I was just like, stop eating when you're full. And like, of course, this is a first world problem. Like, but it's it's just interesting that these are again, these have to be the solutions, I suppose, for a population who has very little robust understanding of like food nutrition or like what is good to put in your body and what is not. Um, like if doctors don't even have a good handle on this, it's kind of scary to think what your what like a lay person, uh, your average lay person has to say about food nutrition. But I think like a lot of it's also like just unsexy things that don't really sell a lot of clicks or books. It's like if you told like I feel like most people have like a decent intuitive idea of like fresh fruit, fresh fruits and vegetables are good for you. You should have some meat in moderation, some fat in moderation. Don't eat too many like processed things that like look completely artificial out of a bag. Like, is it feasible? Like, uh, is there like misinterpretation of like reading labels or like how things are like marketed and packaged to us? Like, sure. And I feel like most people kind of like vaguely know like what a healthy diet should look like. And we just still can't really achieve it because it's really expensive or like otherwise unreachable. Yeah. And then you also have behavior modification in some sense, but behavior engineering, I think too, especially with like influencers. And this is not even recently. This is from the 80s and 90s, like talking about these South Beach diet, Atkins diet, <laughs> like these ridiculous, like, hey, change everything about what you're eating. And this is, all you know... <laughs> Yeah, which um, is, oh, good luck sustaining that for the rest of your fucking exactly it's just stuff that's completely unsustainable um my favorite one we've talked about this i think before was the beyonce diet where you literally eat uh eat is not even the word it's a concoction of um lemon juice cayenne pepper and grade a maple syrup that's it Ew. there's nothing else that that's what you drink eat consume for like a week and uh that's yeah you're getting gonna... disorder that's an eating disorder. Yeah, sorry. That's not a that's not a fad diet even. There's no diet whatsoever. This that's not food. But people do this stuff, you know, and there's all kinds of variations of this. Um all this to say I'm just really defeated, depleted um and other words that rhyme with that about the state of um people's relationship with food because it's not just the balloon. It's like Oh, all I have to do is take Ozempic and I can drop weight, no problem. Uh, I don't have to like walk or get outside. I don't have to change anything about like my habits or relationship with food. I just need to find the doctor who will prescribe this for me. I think it speaks a lot more to also in a larger sense um, as an indictment to the a dilapidated culture that ultimately comes back to capitalism. And by that, I mean, first off, we have physicians debating these things and it speaks to this baked in notion of a technocratic and scientific fixes and that there are people on high that can scientifically engineer solutions to larger social problems that are actually baked into the material conditions of our society and so all these little things that we're talking about have a very different understanding when you approach it from that perspective. But when you approach it from the perspective that we've been taught, which under liberal capitalism here in America means educated superiors who 
a very siloed professional um, areas, areas of expertise and all these things instead of being problems that we as general people can fix collectively and can understand collectively, there are social betters that are in positions on high to fix these things for us. And we are just part of the grist mill that, you know, kind of runs the rat race. And at the same time, too, then that also leads into the way uh, social and cultural values come into play, like the way we're talking about the guilting of children and just the horrible ways in which parenthood, people have parented their kids um, with attitudes, beliefs, ideals that also speak to kind of an overriding even non-understood capitalist ethic and way of thinking about things. We have kids of various, from like various class uh, strata um, and social groupings. And yet, you know, what you talked about, that type of guilt and where it's like, eat everything on your plate because there's a child in a third world country who is starving. There's a class connection to that, right? Like you're in America, even if you're poor, even if you're of the lowly working class, you are obviously much better than a child in a favela or someone in Mozambique or somewhere where, mm. you know, they're eating scraps just to get by. There is an understanding of imperialism in that. There's an understanding really? of capitalist cultural values in that. And yet at the same time, these are people um, in their own like material position who are being like, you know, preyed on by the larger governing capitalist structure and capitalist values. So instead of us looking at, you know, general problems like how do we collectively raise, you know, livestock and agriculture and make it sustainable for all of us? And how do we create healthy values in all of us in the sense of healthy, um, actual physical health? Um, how do we go about these things? Everything just gets partitioned off into the smallest slice and sliver. And you're just doing essentially the bare minimum to survive. And therefore you have physicians and scientists and all these other professionals are like, well, let's shove a balloon down your stomach and then we can go fucking find it. Like Sam Neill, like digging through Triceratops shit in Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> reusable. Yeah. So, yeah. The so balloon really is reusable. Think, yeah. So in a larger sense, you know, when we talk about things like eating, eating disorders and, all these other, um, you know, very damaging mental and physical phenomena that people have to go through. And we do so in a very superficial manner that doesn't connect it um, first to these people's understanding of their problems and then to a larger material understanding of problems. And instead we jump straight to the scientific, um, the technocratic, the professionalized, idea of what we should be doing and how we should be handling these things when oftentimes that is just you know one of the other working parts of our daily existence under a capitalist society and under the state too i mean it's the it's the appeal to authority right it's just well this is this is what i'm supposed to do um, I mean, think of how, think of what is it the the food pyramid or whatever this is like the thing in the 1960s and 70s which has been basically like discounted or like all almost entirely rejected at this point. 
Um, and this used to be the standard of, you know, follow this food pyramid, you'll get all your nutrition and you'll be all good. And then only to find out that was all horseshit, basically. <clears throat> but so many people put, uh, you know, they they relieve themselves of the responsibility of the understanding of and I don't, I don't want to talk about this through the lens of individuals. This is on a population level, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is kind of what uh, happens with an overcoding state mechanism that will tell the population, this is what we're doing now. This is what is healthy. Trust us. We have your best interest in mind, whatever, whether that's true or not. Um, and people start to have this reliance um, on that authority and, you know, in an era where people perhaps trusted the government a little more than they do now, that's um, understandable. But at this point, how <laughs> how can you trust uh, our current governing structure that clearly over the past even 10 years, of course, longer than that, has pretty much shown that they do not care about your average person at all. And in fact, many from the capitalist point of view now, um, there are many companies that are making tons of money off of people getting sick getting overweight, um, all of this stuff, you start to wonder like who does have the people's interests in mind? You know, they don't, they clearly don't. Clearly the small time Instagram hustlers, like they definitely don't have any nefarious no. intentions in mind. They, they just want you to be healthy by buying their exactly. shit, exactly. their affiliate code. Well, I also think there's like an individual project that goes like, that is a component of this. And one of those things is, there's this idea where it's like, well, you can be the change that you want to be like in the world. And so you have this plethora of people that have entered various fields with amazing backgrounds um, themselves that come from their own individual experiences, which means you have, you know, we're talking about dietary understanding. So you have a uh, food nutritionists or not the word I wanted to use the actual proper field of registered dietitians that go through, you know, undergrad and master's programs, PhDs, et cetera, that are amazing components of the healthcare system that have understandings for dealing with people with specific illnesses, um, people themselves that come on, you know, come into this field that bring their own personal understanding and education, understanding through going through these programs and understanding eating disorders and all this type of thing. And at the same time, you have a cultural apparatus whether it's just your main media like ABC, CBS, NBC here in the States, whatever that, you know, your daytime talk show hosts and stuff that bring on doctors to talk about for, you know, five, 10 minutes, like what does a healthy diet look like nowadays? And it's always kind of the same thing, this, you know, deferring to physician opinion. And at the same time, you can talk to numerous, um, physical therapists and exercise health scientists and people that work with people from a performance standpoint and be like, these are the same fucking orthopedic idiots that have been telling you, like, you know, your spine is so fragile and you'll never be able to lift again once you're injured and these type of things. And so people within these newer fields have a far wider depth and degree of understanding. And they're amazing out there and they're amazing things that, you know, um, programs, uh, information itself, people that do cultivate an online following from a great position and stuff. But at the same time, all this is subsumed under capitalism because the structures are the same. So failure is always the same. We individualize things and we get a little bit further, but at the same time, 
your pharmaceutical industry, your medical industrial complex, all these type of things are the overriding features of our lives. So we don't get healthier. We get healthier in an individual way. Our understandings get better. We gain a revolutionary perspective on how do we get rid of this. But the system itself still maintains a hegemony over our lives. And that is the difficulty in talking about how do we combat it? Well, ultimately, it's about combating the structure, the dominant structure. That's why I even laugh at like us reading like, you know, the Medscape articles, because it really is hilarious because so much of that itself is part of that dominant structure. Yeah. Reproducing itself, right? Mm -hmm. In so exactly. many ways. Um, well, speaking of the dominant structure, I wanted to read this quick one from Forbes. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but just kind of going into dovetailing with what you were just saying, Bay. Um, this is one of my, I don't subscribe to Forbes, of course. This is my one of four free articles. Um, but title of this one, um, health insurance stocks tumble over spike in surgeries delayed by pandemic. This is a good one. Um, very quick read. I'll just start here. Health insurance firms saw significant drops in their stock prices Wednesday after United Health Group said it was expecting its profits to take a hit from a surge of people undergoing non-urgent surgeries they put off during COVID-19. <clears throat> the price falls came after United Health CEO Tim Knoll said more seniors who are enrolled in Medicare have been undergoing surgeries for non-urgent issues like knees and hips in comments he made Tuesday at the Goldman Sachs Global Healthcare Conference. Nice. Why wasn't Jesus. I there? I didn't get a fucking invite. What do you think it takes to get to that conference? Yeah. I mean, whose fucking balls do I have to lick to even be, be able to see where the door is? My God. Um, Goldman Sachs Global Healthcare Conference. Oh, would give anything to it's be like, there. How do we best suck the marrow out of newborn yeah. babies? <laughs> How do we fucking lick our fingers clean uh, with patient's blood? Uh, even more Peter than we're doing. over there harvesting infant foreskins and milkshake for a sustained <laughs> life. Just oh, uh, cursed, cursed event. Uh, it goes on. The trend appears to be quote pent up demand that is now being satisfied. He said. United Health demand stock to have fucking functioning. Limbs. I'm, I'm telling you. I mean, just wait. I'm telling you. Like, um, I love how these places are like oh if you if this wasn't for like an aortic dissection like it's clearly elective you're just getting some fucking android knees for fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, you don't, don't really need, need yeah. that shit yeah you're just you just want to be a fucking cyborg you don't need a new knee i don't care if you're in 10 out of 10 pain and you can't do your activities daily living oh this is non-urgent oh this is luxury health care you know uh united health stock was down seven percent in in-trading um, early Wednesday afternoon, while competitors also fell, with Humana down 12%, Elevance Health down 7%, CVS Health Core down 6%. Um, what to watch for? United Health is expecting to see the uptick in surgeries <clears throat> eat into its second quarter profits. Its medical loss ratio, I love this term, so it just made up. Medical loss ratio. Its medical loss ratio, which represents the proportion of premiums going to medical care. I don't know. What's a health insurance company <laughs> supposed to do then? What the fuck Sorry? is the point of the money? <laughs> What's the point of the enterprise? Oh, cutting into our profits. I don't know. Paying for people to have health care. Oh, what assholes going and getting their knees and hips done. What the fuck? Imagine like a dirtbag, like scumbag parent who's like, 
oh, my fucking child support money has to go to my fat ass kids. <laughs> Literally, that that is what it is. Oh, my God. My fucking gluttonous kid who needs money to survive. Oh, what a prick. Um, it, it's medical loss ratio, which represents the proportion of premiums going to medical care, is expected to be close to 83.1%, higher than last quarter's 82.1%, not even a 1% difference from last quarter, and they're freaking out. While executives said during the call, these issues may only affect earnings during the second quarter, Noel added they are, quote, not assuming that these will be right away. Hmm, okay, so this might keep going on. United Health thrived during the pandemic, and its stock has risen close to 80% since February 2020. During the first quarter of 23, the company earned almost $92 billion in revenue, a 15% increase from the previous year. Um, people sought less in-person medical care uh, because they're socially distancing, blah, 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 which resulted in major profits for health insurance companies. Um, and this is the last paragraph here. While insurers were negatively affected by United Health's comments, medical device makers and hospital operators generally saw stocks go up on Wednesday. <laughs> Fucking awesome. Oh, hospital firms Tenet Healthcare and HCA Healthcare were both up about 3%, while manufacturers Boston Scientific and Zimmer Biomet were up more than 4%. Awesome. So there's always a yin and a yang, folks. Insurers are down, hospitals <laughs> are up. All good, family. <laughs> the medical industrial complex, we're thriving regardless. Love to see it. I mean, it's the circle of life. The circle of fucking life. I mean, this is this is all I wrote down for this. I just I was just laughing my ass off reading this because it's just like uh, if we're bringing this back to Marxist terms, right? It just completely exposes the capitalist contradictions inherent in our healthcare system, right? People get care. Insurance stocks go down, LOL. Like, I guess what's more important here, you know, like um, getting my knee replaced so I can live the life I want to live or uh, Humana stocks uh, potentially taking a dip in the second quarter. I mean, we have to really weigh these. Maybe uh, for the betterment of the economy, maybe I should just fucking die. Going back to what we talked about, perhaps I should not get in the way of CEO Tim Knowles uh, extensive uh, stock portfolio and his bonuses and his, you know, whatever, um, maybe I shouldn't do that, even though I'm hurting. I mean, truly, this exposes every, or, or like the most fundamental contradictions in our economic system. And it's like so mwah, perfectly encapsulated in this article. That's why I wanted to read it. And that's it. It's short. Um, thank you, Forbes, for <laughs> letting us all know what's actually important uh, in in American society, which is stock prices for, um, you know, Humana and um, Elevance Health, CVS. This is what's actually important. Jesus Christ. What can you even say? Um, I just wanted to read that one really quick. We're not going to read the, are you a physician or fucking vending machine? I'm not, not going to go down that one. Do you have another well, one? It's really boring. Yeah, it was um, kind of boring. Well, which one do you want to do? Do you want to do uh, doctors, nurses striking? Is it ethical or do you want to do the surgeon who possibly murdered uh, the lawyer? Oh, no, no. Well, let's save that one for, uh, for a true crime term. Yes, yes, medical true crime. <laughs> <laughs> or, okay, so then doctors, nurses strike. 
is that ethical or it's wise to hospitalize mentally ill homeless people? I was oh going to say God. the doctor's nurse's strike sounds like a long episode in and of itself. Yeah. Um, Maybe a little preview. I don't know. Up to you guys. Let's, let's read the okay. So, what is that one called? The second, the other uh, one? It's wise to hospitalize mentally ill homeless people, even if involuntarily. Ethicist. Oh, Eric Adams is already doing this. Yeah, let's let's jump into this. Yes, thing. this is a specific commentary on the Eric Adams. Oh. Another ethicist? Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, ethicists are also cops. You know, they're 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 saying what we can and can't do. Oh, exactly. In bourgeois society, most certainly. Yeah, they're laying soft down cops, the you know? soft cops, laying down the plane of possibility. We we don't we don't like, appreciate that. Similarly to like doctors or teachers, soft cops. Yeah. Um, so I just dropped the link in the chat. <laughs> Another one from Arthur Kaplan today. Oh god damn it. Oh, there he is again. Fucking Artie. <laughs> you prick. A large amount of controversy broke out recently in New York City about a plan to deal with the mentally ill who are out on the streets homeless. The mayor of the city, Eric Adams, announced that he was going to permit and encourage the police to round up people who are out on the streets with mental illness, bring them into New York City hospitals, and ask for their evaluation as to whether they seem competent and able to make decisions about staying out on the streets. The I just want to say quickly, to like people- the, the wording used in the article, like mm-hmm. the, the use of the word round up mm-hmm. as if these people are cattle or, or something like that is just so like telling cats. of of like where their mindset actually maybe, is it's maybe jews in 1930s germany japanese <laughs> yeah like I... 1940s 1930s america oh, I, I don't no, know this this is different this isn't fascist scapegoating this is uh an ethicist's real concern for the the streets of new york city oh, yeah just weird. well you know i mean eric adams cares a lot about new york so he appoints the rats are and then there's the homeless people's are <laughs> i suppose <laughs> But the idea is to get people with severe mental illness off the streets and into care, even though like we barely have enough room for people who are voluntarily seeking Mm -hmm. mental health treatment. Current laws don't permit retaining people with mental illness for more than 48 hours unless they're deemed a threat to themselves or others. Like, why would you? (laughs) Otherwise, they get kicked back out on the streets. So, like... (laughs) I feel dumbfounded because it's like people just talk about this without underlying the larger structure of the way our society is established. So the mentally ill, are they receiving care? Is that care free? Like, how does that care dispensed under our like medical system? Uh, What about housing? All this type of stuff. Um, Well, I mean, also it's like for the very specific subset of homeless people that he's talking about, which is like, Homeless people with severe persistent mental illness, like schizoaffective disorder, very severe bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, possibly substance use. Like that is a small subset among homeless people who are, for the most part, experiencing trauma and depression and anxiety and resorting to things like substance use because of the fucking fact that they're homeless for economic reasons. Yes. Like they are not homeless because they didn't get like the proper mental health care. I mean, sometimes, but like that is a small, small subset of people. And this just basically gives police more power to just like round up homeless people, number one. And then number two, drop them at hospitals, like with no other like funding or revenue source to like help people with things that they need, like getting housing. Yeah. It sounds like, go ahead. 
I was just going to say it's a the way in which we talk about homeless people it always falls under like one large umbrella it seems like even though like as you're saying there's so many reasons for people to become homeless and some people do choose homelessness i'm not saying that's the the majority some people choose some people i don't know lost their house in a fire and now have nowhere to go some people just got $4000 or yeah i mean we're not even talking about the economic implications i mean we're just talking about various reasons you can become homeless you are you leave a partner and you like a partner kicks you out of their house and you have nowhere to go. Mm. A family member dies. You have, I don't know. There's so many reasons beyond the economic implications. Um, but it's always talked about like homeless people being these drug addled, crazy, uh, insane people. And like that, that's always the context that's brought up when we're talking about this sort of thing, rounding them up. What are, again, when we were going back to like our, um, reading group, what are we going to do with these people? Again, the state being these population managers, as usual, we see this kind of like cropping up over and over. Uh, these people don't have agency. They're crazy. They're on drugs. They're insane, whatever. So what do we do with them? You know, overtaking, again, overcoding um, in these ways um, and setting their life out in front of them for them, because clearly they're homeless. They can't make decisions for themselves. Otherwise, they wouldn't be here. I love that he says that part that what to evaluate whether or not they seem confident. Well, that's a fucking legal term but to, to determine if they have capacity to make their own decisions. Like you can be psychotic and be like, I know what the hospital entails and I know what my psychosis is. I would rather just stay out here. I don't right. want to go into the hospital. <laughs> like exactly. that's a fair choice. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, like I love how like the historically there's, you know, the general idea that these people are deserving of their station. And now we've moved into this form where it feels like almost a written spoof of what tyranny looks like under liberal society. And that's this idea that you use all these buzzwords care like and at yep. the same time, you're just talking about these very authoritarian actions. First off, we're going to round people up a specific group, a specific disparate group that suffers much like all of society suffers, but they suffer at such a catastrophic scale, it's recognizable. And then we're going to use the actual institutions of care, at least as we understand it, hospitals and healthcare facilities to become the prisons by which we yes. uh, lock these people up, exactly. interrogate them in this process of care where we you know, go through a rigorous uh, medical process of figuring out if they have capacity um, to cognitively care for themselves. And then we do what, you know, like it sounds hilarious. Like a sci-fi writer would have wrote this as a dystopian, like fiction, except this is our day-to-day -day lives. And, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more too, but what if you're like, okay, they have capacity and they're like, one house, please. You're like, okay. <laughs> no, get them, shoot. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not that. Not that kind of capacity. Is Jake sleeping and having a dream? Yeah, he's having a dream. I'm sorry. Oh, that's cute. I hear him now, too. Oh, buddy. Hey, you, you can't be dreaming. Well, that's what I was going to say, too. Like, these are the prisons now. I mean, it is in a way like the it's like reinstitutionalization. Like, we've gone through this deinstitutionalization over the past few decades. And in a lot of ways, this is the reinstitutionalization, right? And it's their way of turning this, as liberals love to do, 
turning this into a moral claim, right? What you were saying, Bay, this is about care. This is about taking taking a responsibility for our community and getting people where they need to go. What, imprisoned in the asylum system that has been stripped and now we're reinstituting? Like, um, don't worry, like we want the best for these people, uh, but only based on how what we think is best for them, which is to take away their rights and put them where we think we need to put them so other people uh, don't have to look at them. That's really honestly what most of this amounts to is your average bourgeois subject, your your middle class, uh, yes, suburban boat owner. They don't want to look at these people, right? So what do we do with them? And to ameliorate the guilt they feel for doing this, they turn it into the moral claim, which is we're doing what's right for these people because they don't know what's right for themselves. That's what's so frustrating about the discussion around anything entailing the homeless population at all. It's always turned into a moral claim of we know what's best for them, they don't. But like it, even in this view towards reinstitutionalization, we're not looking at like the kind of idealistic, like the Victorian view of like we're gonna have cottages like in beautiful, like you know, the wilderness and like, we're all gonna live cooperatively and people are gonna learn how to make bread and these like open air places and take them out of like these disgusting cities. It's like, no, let's just go back to like the seventies. Remember yeah. when like all these places were getting shut down cause they were overcrowded and we didn't have enough people to run these places. Let's just do that. Let's <laughs> just do it again though. New York City. Yeah. Bro, please, I swear, bro, please. This time will be different, bro. You just, it's just a different strain, bro. Please, please try this different institutionalization, bro. Bro, this asylum will work, bro. Please. There's yeah. like not even like the delusion that like this could be good. It's like we're still sending you to fucking Bellevue. <laughs> yeah, the shitty ex-boyfriend that's come back, but he's uh completely changed his appearance and now he's a regime of care. Oh. Yeah. Babe, <laughs> so I one, went to therapy, I promise. One, uh, one more chance. Like yeah, one more chance, baby. This asylum will be different, bro. Please. So I really thought that Adams's idea was overdue, and I applaud what he's trying to do. There are many critics who stepped forward and said this is a violation of the civil rights of people, particularly homeless people who are vulnerable. Yes. They think that police should not be involved in this and the mayor is wrong to do this. Their objection primarily is that you can't force somebody against their will into a treatment for psychiatric evaluation and potentially for inpatient treatment. That's providing care without permission or consent and using police power to drag someone against their will. Also, I want to say one of the other primary objections was that mental health systems are already overburdened with like voluntary people who need care. Yeah. And also the fact that treatment doesn't solve homelessness. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But he, I think there's a confusion here. We're not trying to round up the homeless. Isn't that what you already just fucking what said the, in the first paragraph? What the fuck? Literally in the first paragraph. What did I say? Fucking lower than a freshman like writer's comp essay. Like we're, you know, the English teacher would have gone and like circled back and be you like, you said this. Like, Red sir, marks. God damn it, Arthur. You fucking but Arthur thinks. Homeless people, I think, deserve homes. That's certainly a housing policy question. Oh, and it's one that many cities in America have not fixed, and that's deeply regrettable. But he's well, like the, the small ones, like on HGTV, <laughs> that are made out of like dumpsters, um, where you can fit five of them in. That sounds like where art is going with this. Yeah, in in uh, Boston, there's this hospital that just put up like a bunch of quote supportive housing units. But the pictures of them, they literally just look like Home Depot shelves, like the sheds. Yeah. They're like, bye-bye. 
But anyway, what the mayor focused on, what I believe is correct, is a small percentage of those homeless people who are out there severely mentally ill and incompetent. We know who they are when we go into cities. We see them talking to themselves, yelling, ill-clothed, clearly in trouble, not able to fend for themselves. And how is this going to help them for more than like 72 hours? Also, why and, why is the police like the first line here? Yeah. Um, like what what does this have to do with policing? Like people who are <laughs> not I mean, I'm sorry, like does Nana in the in the home when she's 80 and she can't take care of herself and feed herself, do we call the cops yes. on her? I guess yes. we call different cops, I suppose. <laughs> but like, you know, why are the boy not they're not the boys in blue going in and helping Nana out? Like uh, what I'm saying is like, what do the cops have to do with uh, people who are incompetent and can't take care of themselves. I guess that's my question. I have this in, in New York, like this is the only department that ever gets funded. So I guess it has to be. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I have this funny vision of like anytime there's a problem in the house, you just call it like an old fucking, um, oh my God, what's that show with uh, the cat in the mouse, Tom and Jerry. And when like Tom is always having a problem, is Tom the cat, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he calls like yes. the like gangster thug cats and he opens the door and they all come in with their clubs. Like that's what we're doing to Nana. Like just... <laughs> She's over there. She's over there. over there. She won't let me play Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the people who get preyed upon, who get attacked, robbed, raped. They, these are the people who offer, often suffer health problems because they're out there sleeping without adequate protection. They don't know how to keep themselves warm in those parts of the country that have bitter That's winter. what I'm saying. They, they fucking don't, know how to keep themselves warm. They, it's they getting don't a cold and being inside. They don't have those things. They don't know what to do. These poor, like, poor, suffering people. What are they to do without our help? Like the biases are poor artists like displaying in this article. First off, the fact that these people are highly intelligent about their environments and navigating this social ecosystem. That's the first thing anyone in contact with these people understands is actually how competent they are at fending for themselves in their own way. It just doesn't look like fending for themselves the way we expect that to under a bourgeois capitalist lifestyle where as long as you have a job, then you're supposed to have a house, et cetera, and life's supposed to be great. No one no interrogation of that capitalist ethic it's just no these people like they're being preyed upon send the cops nana yep. mm -hmm. and the bruisers does art know like that cops just beat up these people and don't give a fuck about <laughs> right. them like who do you we think is doing the attack we know what's best for them so let's send in the cops to yeah beat the shit out of them and, tr and traumatize them further that'll that's the correct solution and, and also yeah, at, he's at best at best yeah and also he's you know, he's allowing that this is a small subset of the homeless population. Yes. Um, so then what about the majority of the, of, of homeless people then maybe who aren't dealing with these issues and are still homeless, then what is the solution for them? Um, we're talking, he talked about housing policy earlier. Oh, this is a housing policy question. And basically his, uh, his final analysis was it's deeply regrettable. Okay. <laughs> Oh, it just ah sucks. Oh, well, can't fix that part. So let's focus on like the small subset of people who we deem can't help themselves and put them in prison. That's really what the article is all about. Housing policy. Oh, love my pay grade. Can't do shit about that. What about these other people who <laughs> like a very small percentage? Let's focus on that and let's do the same exact thing we've already tried in the past that did not work. Thank you, Art. Fucking so clever, dude. You, you earned your Ph.D. I feel like this is analogous to like the individualization scene and parenting and spanking your child. 
like beating is a form of deterrence of behavior. So like the cops will just beat the homeless so they won't be homeless. <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah. Stop being homeless. It's the it's that Paris Hilton stop being poor t-shirt uh meme. I mean, I, I enough ju- police con- like come into contact with homeless people, like a certain percentage of them are just gonna die because it's the cops. Yeah. I yeah, I just wanted to read this again. The mayor of the city, Eric Adams, announced that he was going he was going to permit and encourage the police to round up people who are out on the streets with mental illness, bring them into New York City hospitals, ask for evaluation. Okay. Then, a couple of paragraphs later, I think there's a confusion here. We're not trying to round up the homeless. Next couple of paragraphs down, I support what the mayor in, is doing in New York, where you just mentioned he wants to round up the homeless. <laughs> It's unbelievable <laughs> how bad this writing, like what you said, Bay, it's high, not even high school level, just like the most inane, awful, disconnected, no like uh, coherent, cogent argument at all. I support what the mayor is doing, what he's rounding up people. I don't think we should round up people, though, but I do support the mayor who talks about rounding people up. Like, what the fuck? This I guy has he... a recurring article. It's unbelievable. I, I th- so, but I think what he would have said if he were a better writer was like to differentiate. Like we're not just quote rounding up homeless people, which would be abhorrent. We're only rounding up mentally ill people, yeah. <laughs> just normal and good. There's <laughs> nuance, guys. Yeah, there's nuance. This man is gonna nuance his way into a fucking yeah. paperback. Um, but. <laughs> So no one likes the police dragging someone into a hospital against their will. But what the mayor was talking about and what I believe is justified is severely mentally ill people getting some help. Okay, but like what kind of help? Like I think they would be pretty happy with like house, Mm -hmm. like supportive housing that isn't like a shitty shelter. In general, yeah. Any kind of social support in general, like um, not having to think about every aspect of their life being a financial transaction to, you know, access healthcare or housing or water for that matter, food, like all of these things, like maybe that's a consideration for somebody who you deem is having trouble supporting their own life. Um, I don't know, maybe don't make every aspect of their life a financial transaction. That could be a good start. This strikes me as humane, appropriate, and doing the right thing for vulnerable people who aren't sitting around saying, well, I would rather be out here than in a shelter, or I would rather be out here because I prefer to live the way that I want to live. These are people with schizophrenia or other severe forms of mental illness that we're not paying attention to. We're just leaving them out there to fend as best as they can. This strikes me as wrong. It's like, yeah, agreed. Like We shouldn't just fucking leave people outside to die. But the solution isn't to lock them up in a hospital. Right. Yeah, this I support cool. what the mayor is doing in New York. I hope other cities follow and start to say that there are two kinds of people who are homeless. There we go. Uh-huh. Uh, the bad and the good homeless. Uh, <laughs> the good homeless. Oh, Hegel's dialectic. <laughs> I've heard of this one. <laughs> God. Um. There is a group that for one reason or another finds them homeless and cities aren't doing what they can to provide homes. Uh-huh. They don't want to be out there, but there they are. The other is the mentally ill wannabe homeless, no, who we deinstitutionalized, didn't give proper follow-up care to, threw out onto the streets and are probably suffering greatly and have no idea where they are or even whether they want to be there because they're so severely mentally ill. 
They deserve better. I will say, literally having worked in multiple inpatient units, including a fucking state hospital, there are very few psychotic patients who are so deliriously psychotic that they didn't know that they were homeless. They usually know that part. Yeah. Like, they are not like, A and O yeah. times zero. If that is your social reality, you're probably aware uh, yeah. <laughs> that that is your life all the time. I mean, I, just, I don't, I have nothing left to say about art. I never want to read an article about art, what art is up to. I think to. we should. There's so many more. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't. My tummy hurts. <laughs> my fucking tummy hurts so I had bad. too much ice cream. I had too much art. <laughs> Yeah, uh, hurting. Well, you know, art is like like all food, you know, tolerated in small quantities. Yeah. Uh, I believe Montaigne wrote a, the essay on moderation, so that's what we need. Just moderations of art. Yeah, I know moderation. We, like, I know we said we were getting together because we're going to do this as like funny one-off episodes where we'll just kind of make fun of these type of articles. And that led me into at least my part since I was bringing an article a day to do larger deep dive which i actually think is much bigger um than how we should finish but it is this idea that what we just read is part of a larger culture and ecosystem that itself is part of the larger political paradigm we're in and it speaks to in a damning way of our society and journalism itself and how journalism is obviously captured uh through its connections with capitalist interests and itself big major journalism and you can go back to like Upton Sinclair in like the early 1900s and discuss it but in this specific context it's how someone of course would argue this isn't medical journalism but everything that falls under the purview of writing for articles and medical um under a medical purview right whether it's opinion pieces um and fucking medscape or something seen and you know New York Times, et cetera, how all of it just kind of is subsumed by this horribly rank, noxious idea of how society should function. And it's a, a very damning indictment of this type of journalism. And it also gets to this idea that these are the people that think they are smart enough, intelligent enough to talk about these things, are given a platform to at least publish this type of material. And everything they talk about is so intrinsically stupid and that in itself we'd say like some of art's opinions however wrong they might be they aren't necessarily bad to share right like if we are collectively going to try to solve these problems and there's a community event where like you know we're all democratically there discussing these things people are going to express ignorant opinions the idea is to educate ourselves uh, through that collective um, <clears throat> you know community towards a revolutionary understanding, as we talk about helping shepherd people towards an understanding of a Marxist-Leninist perspective and what that means in particular fields. And you wouldn't, you know, castigate these people for saying stupid shit. But under our society, that's not what's going on. We've got people like Art Kaplan here who are just waxing and waning so poetically about rounding up the bad homeless and given yeah he's given a platform like so many people arts just are hilarious focus today arts you know fucking small fish in the sea there's much larger fish but it is this idea that these are the people whose ideas come across and so in a professional sense like i was talking about earlier 
you have physicians that, you know, daily check their email and see this on their fucking listserv or whatever, like, okay, here's an article and read this and actually um, engage with it in a manner where it's serious. So you have this professional society that's captured by this incredibly noxious ecosystem and environment that itself is so stupid. And that's what we're kind of getting at, right? Nothing wrong with art being fucking dumb. Everything wrong with art being fucking dumb and given a platform to be dumb and where people can read a stupidity in this type of manner. So I certainly think there might be an episode in the future where we'll kind of talk on a larger sense about medical journalism and how it relates to the capitalist uh, structure of our society. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a feature of all journalism, of course, is that the the most successful journalists, I think, are the ones who have no issues or qualms with um, reproducing the structure, right? Um, it, disseminating ideas that are entirely consistent with the status quo of uh, capitalist U.S. hegemony. Like, even in the most subtle ways, what art is describing here, you would think, what is what is rounding up homeless people have to do with capitalist uh, hegemony in the US. Well, it's the idea that there are certain undesirables in our population that, again, we have to deal with because there's a certain identity that is within what is it, what is it to be an American? What does it mean to be an American? What does it mean to be a productive member of society? What does it mean to, you know, all these things? And if you don't fall into these categories, you will be dealt with, you will be removed, you will be uh, siloed off. Um, and isn't that exactly what the U.S. has done internationally for the yeah. last, um, I don't know, hundred years uh, at the at the minimum? Um, if we're being, um, you know, broad with our analysis with the um, Russian Revolution in 1917, if we're talking about the Cold War since World War II uh, and the McCarthyism and all these things, basically what the uh, the the U.S. hegemonic force. Um, dictates is if you are not like us, you will be dealt with. You will be snuffed out. Any socialist project that was attempted in the last 50 years, with very few exceptions, has been systematically destroyed, whether surreptitiously through intelligence agencies or through outright coups or you, you name it, basically. But the subtext from what art is saying and how it maps onto U.S. hegemony is if you are not what we say you should be, you will be dealt with. That is journalism 101, I would say, uh, in, in our society, is that if you don't meet these standards of how you should behave and should perform, you're not one of us. And therefore, you're not, um, and you're not welcome to the entitlements of capital, as the authors of uh, Health Communism would say. And I think uh, like, you know, what you just said really gets to this idea about how journalism serves as the messenger for the larger dominant Mm -hmm. uh, forces and you can't listen uh, to what art just described uh, in such a generic manner and so in, in such an anodyne manner as if it's really nothing and rather innocent and at the same time hear the phrase round up and extrapolate that to the centuries-long project of settler colonialism and ra yep. like rounding up always the unwanted rounding up the unwanted uh, indigenous population rounding up you know <clears throat> Africans and creating chattel slave, like all of that goes to the larger governing apparatus and it just gets so minutely focused 
and so um, attenuated in these very specific ways of our current day-to-day lives, and yet the historical precedent is enormous. I mean, this is what, sorry, this is what like Deleuze and Guattari call like the micro-fascisms of everyday life, like reading these articles, you know, and it seems like, well, it's just a fucking article, what's the big deal? But like it perpetuates that uh, ideology, that those little micro-fascisms, those everyday life fascisms, right, they perpetuate what we're seeing daily. So it's not just a simple matter of, oh, it's just some fucking article. It's it's a mechanism of reproducing the structure. This is like the um, Selvi Federici territory too, right? Like how do we, how is social reproduction just as important to like capitalist production, right? Like we're talking about capitalist production, surplus value exploitation, but the reproduction of the structure itself is just as important uh, to capitalism. And really, journalism in the 21st century is, I would say, probably the main driver, if we're talking about superstructure, I guess, the main driver of reproducing the structure. Oh, boy. Well, we've been going for a little bit. Should we Should we wrap up, friendies? Yeah. That was nice. Uh, I like the direction Eminem is going now. Um, we are the reporters of the micro-fascisms in medicine, it seems. We are an Art Kaplan podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> we are Art Ka- L. Kaplan hater podcast. Art, if you're out there, fucking son of a bitch, come on, come on the pod. Come, come, re- come redeem yourself, you absolute schmuck, you idiot. You, <laughs> you fucking mental weakling. I, I can't stand what you're putting out to the physician community because... Now we have to make podcasts about how stupid you are when we could be talking about other stuff. <laughs> well, uh, y'all enjoy your weekend. Um, this has been Eminem. Uh, everybody out there, stay safe. Summertime is approaching. It's trauma season, as they say. Um, so if you're thinking about getting on an ATV, do not. Uh, if you're thinking about, I don't know, just going Holding and doing something. Holding fireworks stupid. in your hands. Huh? July 4th is right around. Holding fireworks in your hands. <laughs> Do you think fireworks is a good idea this year? You know, there's a lot of starving dogs with anxiety out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so rethink your fireworks uh, before you get out there and make a fool of yourself. Um, but stay safe out there. It is trauma season. We're thinking about you. We'll see you next time. O amor se deixa surpreender Enquanto a noite vem nos
que se ergueu no mar E das estrelas que esquecemos de contar O amor se deixa surpreender Enquanto a noite vem nos envolver 